he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Good evening. That was a nice uh, response, thank you. Good to be here. I believe you're having quite a few blokes from Halewood at the moment, is that right? Is there a few of us lot coming over? I think. Yeah. Well, I tried. To, thank you. I tried to. Um, I tried to get some sense out of some of them about dress code tonight because we're really scruffy in Halewood. Honestly, it's holes in the jeans and everything, you know. And I could. I couldn't get a sensible answer out of any of them. So I hope this is. This is okay. Um, thanks very much for your welcome, and uh, I do bring the love and greetings from uh, the guys at Halewood. Um, 
for those of you who don't know us, we're not dissimilar in the sense that we use a community centre as well, but we use a, the community centre at night, and they'll just be starting now. Um, and we use um, Halewood Leisure Centre in the morning. So we don't have our own building. Um, and we're about 15 or more years in now without a building. And uh, it has its, its blessings and its challenges. Um, but we are looking for a more permanent... When I say permanent, we've been there 15 years. But, but something like a base or what we call a footprint in Halewood. Um, so if you can pray for us in that, it would be great. It's very hard to find land or buildings in Halewood um, at this time. It's getting built up quite a bit. But it's very hard to try and identify some space. We've had a few goes, but the Lord's closed doors. And we believe you know, in his sovereignty and his perfect plans. And we're meant to be in the leisure centre a bit longer, which is great because it's in the heart of the community, but uh, we'd, we'd appreciate your prayers there. Thank you for the reading. Uh, it's great, that, that extended reading, because what I want us to look at tonight is the, the sort of middle section of the three episodes that were, were covered in that reading there. So if we could um, have uh, Luke 15 open, um, and uh, sorry, what am I doing, Luke 15? Luke 18, verse 15. That's great, isn't it? Luke 18, and we're going to look particularly at three verses tonight, 15, 16, and 17. But it's interesting, isn't it, as we read the wider passage, uh, that Jesus was actually coming out with some pretty revolutionary things that the people who would have heard him, um, would, oh, they would have had various reactions to. Um, but it was pretty shocking stuff what Jesus was declaring there. And it's all related to the kingdom of God. So we'll, we'll home in on verse 15 um, if we may. Okay, thank you. So our first slide. For Bob Hoskins, the actor Bob Hoskins, it was Di Jones. For Joanna Lumley, it was Sister Dillastog. For Tony Blair... It was Eric Anderson. For Deborah Ann Dwyer in the middle, otherwise known as Skin, musical performer, it was Mrs. Webb. For John Cleese, it was Jeffrey Bartlett. And for Jeremy Paxman, it was George Sayer. No one forgets a good teacher. And what did a good teacher do? Well, where do you start with a good teacher? Well, they taught you. But it was more than that, wasn't it? They inspired you. They understood you. They made you want to learn. And they showed you something new. They helped you understand. And they touched your life and changed you. Now, for Matthew, that teacher was Adam Stevenson. And he was Matthew's history and literature teacher in secondary school. That's what we call it over here. I know it was your sophomore years. And for Matthew, his memory of Adam was that he incorporated faith and learning together for Matthew by teaching him how to form good questions about what he was hearing and seeing and then looking for what he could learn about the Lord and his work through it. And it was incredibly impactful on teaching him to look for the things of God and find what is truly beautiful and worth enjoying by looking for Christ in history 
literature, and I love this, Matthew, the mundane patterns of life and looking to see Christ in that. Thank you for that. Now for Vicky, is Vicky here? Where's Vicky? Thank you, Vicky. Thank you for supplying yours. Um, shorter, but no less profound. For Vicky, it was Mrs. O'Malley. English A-level teacher. Our Sam did English A-level. My son, he's 18. He's just come to the end of it now. He's just finished his last exams. So, English A-level. Um, and Mrs. Uh, O'Malley inspired Vicky to become a teacher herself. And again, I loved reading this. Through spending time genuinely investing in her and that investment meant something at the time and beyond well here in Luke chapter 18 and verses 15 to 17 we meet a good teacher Uh, we meet a great teacher we meet the greatest teacher in fact we meet the ultimate teacher and he will teach us he will show us something new And I hope will change us. Now, let's just move on. You may have seen this. It's a a simple image of an optical illusion. It's known as the piece of cake illusion. Okay? And as you look at it now, the right way up, what you're meant to see is the outline um, of a cake on a plate. And there, in the darker section, is a piece of that cake missing. Now, if we go to the next slide and we turn it upside down, the illusion is meant to change. What you're now meant to see, and there'll be somebody who says to me afterwards, I didn't see it that way around, Brian, I saw it the opposite. But what you're meant to see is uh, a single piece of cake on a plate, or I think a cake tray when I look at that. But anyway, you get what I mean. So one way, it's a piece of cake with a piece, a cake with a piece of cake missing, and then the other way, It's a single piece of cake. When Jesus spoke and taught, he had a habit of turning things upside down. What people were so sure about, he drove right through. And what was crystal clear to everyone, Jesus shattered. And through his eyes, and don't forget his eyes, God's eyes, although he fully recognizes the world he created, he sees it very differently. And once more in this passage here, he's going to see things differently. And he wants his Luke 18 hearers and us to see things differently too. Now his purpose as a teacher is to do so much more than merely teach. And we'll come back to this, I'm afraid, quite a bit. He's not looking to merely teach here. He is looking to reach. To reach people. So today's lesson in just three verses is a massive subject. It's the kingdom of God and how Jesus sees it. If we uh, move on, please. So we read verse 15 again for you. Now they were bringing even infants... To him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, talks about a time in the future 
when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of the Lord God and his Christ. That's where we're headed. That's the future. But back in first century Rome, the kingdom seems so real and so permanent. Social structures, natural orders, classes, all and everything and everyone in its right place. And we just read about children there in that verse. What's their place in all of this? Forget it. Forget it. Children were the lowest of the low in these times. They could be and frequently were discarded if need be, particularly, tragically, if they were sick or disabled. It was bad for sons and it was even worse for daughters. So, who on earth do people think they are bringing such lowly individuals to the superstar that's Jesus, the celebrity Jesus, so that he can touch them, connect with them, and teach them? And for those who are around Jesus, who think they get it, and think they're seeing that piece of cake the right way, it's a bit too much. And they do what they think is the right thing, they shoo them away. Don't be wasting Jesus' time. So the situation was very raw and ruthless in first century Rome. I guess we have to ask the question, is it better today for children? Well, yes, of course it is. But in some ways, no. You know, studies in our nation show that one in five children experience some kind of abuse before the age of 16. That's 8.5 million of them, by the way, in England and Wales. And during the first pandemic, Childline reported an incredible increase in calls from terrified and traumatized children, calls from their home environments. Well, that's just one aspect of the kingdom of this world. This is the reality that we see and live in. It's like the cake with the piece missing. Well, Jesus here turns that image over. And he sees it differently. He flips things completely. And they thought, the people around him, the leaders of the day, who were mentioned at the beginning of our reading, they thought that their kingdom was so real. And although they probably wouldn't have said it was faultless and perfect, they thought it was right. It's the way things are. This is how it's meant to be. Both for now and for the future. And in this event, like so many before and after, Jesus will show them that this isn't the reality that they think it is. And it's certainly not what he has planned for the future. So, verse 15, the cake is very different when Jesus looks at it. This is a false kingdom. Let's move into verse 16, shall we? I'll just read it for you again. Verse 16. But Jesus, don't you love buts in the Bible? Often something good comes after a but in the Bible, particularly where Jesus is involved. But Jesus called to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So Jesus, far from rejecting children, receives them. But remember, before he was the God-man, as we may refer to him, he was the God-baby and the God-child, which means that Jesus cried, crawled, walked, fell. He went to school. I dare say he even did his homework. Jesus understood and valued kids, and the kids knew that. 
They stayed away from the religious leaders of the day. They didn't actually think, right, let's go and talk to that Pharisee today, shall we? You know, let's go and hang with the scribes or the religious leaders. They didn't approach them. Their parents knew better. They kept them away. Yet with Jesus, they came to him with humility, but pretty amazing determination. You can picture the scene, parents with their kids, and all the opposition around, but a determination, God-given, I would say, to reach Jesus. God-given faith, seeking Jesus and not being put off. There are many instances of that in Scripture. People who have got a faith that could only come from God, a determination, because they know that their answer is Jesus, and without him, there is no answer. And they are determined, they won't be put off, they will keep going. God-given faith keeps going until it finds what it wants, what it needs. Think about the persistent widow in the parable at the start of chapter 18. Think about the tax collector, who we've just thought about there. Humble, but determined. Earlier on in chapter 8, you'll read about a terminally ill woman who just needed to touch Jesus' coat. She knew he was her answer. She tried everything else. He was the answer and she knew. And then at the end of chapter 18, we read about the blind beggar Bartimaeus. He will cry out, humble cry, but persistent. Won't be put off. He needs saving and without Jesus, he's not getting saved. So, in the false idea of a kingdom where Jesus is a mighty warrior who's going to right all the wrongs done to God's people and destroy all their enemies like a warrior, Jesus shouldn't really have time for such distractions as kids. They get in the way. They told Bartimaeus he was in the way as well. We know what Jesus is here to do. He's the Messiah. We've got our ideas about him. And nobody should distract this. But he shows the alternative view of the cake. And we see that for Jesus, the kids are not about distraction. They are his direction. This is where he's going and his kingdom is going. It's going to be a family kingdom. Now, he's got their attention big time here in what he's saying. Mentioning the word kingdom, that will get the ears pricked up and the attention focused. But it's not what they think. The kingdom of Christ will turn everything on its head. And like the cake turned upside down, everything changes. Everything. Such as this. The least will become the first. Okay. The worthless will become priceless. The powerful will be humbled. And the humbled will be exalted. That's what Jesus' family kingdom is about and you know these children couldn't offer anything to Jesus they couldn't they had nothing to bring they couldn't uh, promote themselves in any way but they were valued and they were loved unconditionally Jesus loved them because he loved them just like what a family should be you know we're not earn our place to love in a family hopefully we shouldn't have to it should be unconditional. We belong in the family because we belong in the family. And we have parents and siblings who love us and care. The ideal family model I know, but this is what Jesus is referring to here in his family kingdom. 
Let's move on into verse 17, shall we? I'll read it again. Truly, Jesus speaking, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So Jesus has gone right up against the false kingdom in verse 15. He's demonstrated something of his family kingdom in verse 16. And now the one who touches will teach. And to illustrate his lesson here in verse 17, he will point us to the children. And say something like this. You've just seen how despite your opposition, they came to me. And how I welcomed them. Now you adults need to come to me the same way. We mustn't understand what Jesus is saying here. He is not telling people to become childish. But he is saying you need to learn from the the children. And become as it were childlike. Because here's the reality according to Jesus. Because of our sin and our disobedience to God. We are separated from his family kingdom. And we need to be reconciled. We're powerless. Like the kids, we offer nothing. We bring only our sin to the table. But this is the heart of the gospel. Another member of the family will make the way for us to be adopted. Have we got that? We're powerless. We can't get ourselves in. We can't reason. We can't beg. We're like the prodigal son and the father rushes to meet him because the son can do nothing. He hasn't really got the words to say. But another member of the family will make the way for us to be adopted. And that family member is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he's teaching here, but in five chapters time in Luke, he will do what is needed to make that way. To bring us in. He will die to deal with our sin that separates us and keeps us out. So here, Jesus, in simple yet incredible terms, is showing us what it means to be a Christian. God as our father, Jesus as our big brother, and we bear the family name after the one who brought us into the family, Christian. And our way in, as I've said, is faith in Jesus and what he has done in his death and resurrection. And like the children, like the others, we can approach God now only because of Jesus. Humbly, yes, but with confidence and determination, not on our own merit, nothing in us, but 100% on what Jesus has done. And once in the family kingdom, we discover that the family is bigger than we may have thought. God is the father, Jesus is the big brother, and the church, all of you here, the Christian church, the guys in Hellwood, and all the church around the world that truly believes in Jesus, our brothers and sisters. We had Father's Day recently, and uh, I don't know about for you here, but I was conscious on Father's Day that a number of our folk don't come to church. 
and it's a difficult day for them. Mother's Day can be very, very similar in difficulty because for whatever reason, their memories of dads are difficult. Maybe their dads have passed away, but for some, I know they've had very difficult father experiences. It's very easy for me to stand up here and spout off about God the Father and I'm conscious that you may be sitting there thinking, well, I know what a father's like, and it's nothing like that. Well, I have to say to you, not from my words, but from the Bible, God is the perfect father. You want to find out what God is like? You can look in various parts of the Bible. Here's just six for you. You'll find in the book of Ephesians, God is described as kind and loving. If we go into the uh, Psalms in the Old Testament, he is described as compassionate and approachable. We go back to Lamentations in the Old Testament, we find that God is faithful in both word and deed. Return to the Psalms again. God is strong and dependable. We go forward into the first epistle of John and you'll read of a God described as forgiving and restoring. And then back to the Psalms, God is described just as good. Good. A good God and a good Father. That's the kind of Father God is. And this is the kind of family um, that he, he seeks to bring us into. So just a couple of thoughts as we we draw to a conclusion. You know, back in the false kingdom days here of Jesus' earthly ministry, the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders, and dare I say even the teachers, um, were determined to keep Jesus in his place. They had a, a bit of a box, really, and Jesus was great as long as they could keep him in here. You know, keep him in his place. And they tolerated him as a teacher. But when he spoke of his family kingdom and his faith kingdom, in other words, when he went, when he went beyond teaching to reaching, uh, they reacted badly. They wanted to keep their false kingdom. They wanted Jesus in their false kingdom box. Celebrity, great teacher, man of the hour. Okay, we're okay with that. Now, has anything changed? And we asked before whether anything had changed. And I guess, well, yeah, a lot has changed. But essentially, no, nothing has changed. The world may not be full of Jesus haters. I speak to most people and talk about Jesus. Most people believe he existed. Most people will speak about him in reasonably positive terms as a historical figure that did a lot of good and taught well. They may even admit to believing in miracles. Okay, So I'm not sure the world is full of Jesus haters, but actually people's default, even those who profess to love Jesus, is to keep him in that box. The false kingdom box. Jesus is an inspiring teacher. He always was. He always is. But to only see him that way is to keep him in the false kingdom box. Jesus can make us want to learn more, just like teachers we thought about at the beginning. 
He might want, make us want to learn more about him. But to leave it there is to keep him in the box. Jesus might actually touch lives and elicit an emotional and profound reaction in people. But to merely react to that level is again, I'm sorry, to keep him in the box. And the gospel that we cling to tonight in here is that Jesus is about reaching. The Bible says that he came to seek and to save those who are lost outside of the family that they so need to be part of, a search and rescue mission. That's what Jesus is referring to here. And in Luke 18, the cake had a piece missing. He was the missing piece for that cake then. He's the missing piece now. And I suppose this is the gospel and the good news that we not only cling to here this evening on a quite nice Sunday evening here in the safety of our, our church building, but this is the good news that we need to take with us out of the doors and into this week. Hoylake, Hellwood, wherever our journeys take us this week. And we're not introducing people to Jesus, the good man, the amazing man, the teacher. We're seeking to introduce people to Jesus, the reacher. And to explain in our own way and in the relationships that we've all been given. Maybe we'll be asked questions and there's the opportunity just to explain a little something about how people can belong to the family kingdom. And to explain that the entry to that kingdom is nothing in themselves. It's nothing in ourselves. But to come by faith and trust in what Jesus has done. In what he is doing now. And what he has promised to do in the future. We were reminded this morning as we thought about the prodigal son. That when the father welcomed that younger son back in. He didn't just do enough. He didn't just give him an appropriate welcome. He didn't even just give him a generous welcome. But that salvation that he showed to his son was described as lavished. Over and above. Can I say this carefully? God almost being wastefully generous on bringing sinners back in. That's the gospel. God hasn't just done the minimum to get us in just stretch a point to find a way to shoehorn us in he has lavished salvation on us he's given the very best his own son he could not have given more he could not be more generous he went over and above to bring us in well let's sing shall we if we may